Hey, it's Tony and Jenny Bruski from Real Ghost Stories Online, and we need your help with something. What's that? Keeping our show on the air. As the show grows, so do the costs of producing it and distributing the audio of Real Ghost Stories Online, the very thing that you listen to probably on a regular basis. So if you listen to the show regularly, we ask you to become an EPP. That's an extra podcast person. We'll give you even more episodes of Real Ghost Stories Online to listen to in exchange for your support. It's only $5 a month, and you can sign up at realghoststoriesonline.com. Your support is what keeps our show going. Plus, we'll give you access to all of the past EPP bonus episodes of Real Ghost Stories Online, jam-packed with some of the creepiest stories we've ever gotten in, and exclusively for EPPs, more than 30 full episodes. Thanks for helping keep Real Ghost Stories Online on the air. Without your support, the show couldn't go on. Sign up now to be an EPP, extra podcast person, on the website at realghoststoriesonline.com. And thank you. Welcome to Real Ghost Stories Online. Call in your real ghost story now at 855-853-4802 or write in at realghoststoriesonline.com. You are about to enter the world of the unknown and quite possibly the undead. This is Real Ghost Stories Online. Today, a nurse relays the surprise she felt when she's asked to assist with a patient on the brink of death when she'd just seen this patient alive and well in the stairwell. Two boys venture into the woods only to come out running for their lives. And a listener shares the events that took place in her former rental home and how it was a ghost that actually saved her life there. Those stories, your calls, and more today on Real Ghost Stories Online. Tony and Jenny Bruski joining you once again. Hello. How are you? I am doing well. Are you going to gripe about your snot again? I didn't even say anything. You just have that look like you're going to start I just, whining. I felt like I was going to say something, and mm-hmm. then you gave me the look like, oh, God, he's going to talk about how he can't breathe, how he's dying over there. I know. How he's going to try and get through stories. I'm, I'm tired of hearing about it. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize for the nasaliness. That's all I'll say. Okay. I had difficulty today uh, when I was working on some calls because there's a certain word that sounds horrible when you are nasally and it's hard to repeat it. And this number actually is in my direct line quite a bit, the number nine. Mm-hmm. Oh, saying it right now is not too bad. Nine, nine. But earlier today, I was so plugged up, it's hard to then hear what you're saying when you're saying nine, when you're just like, nine, nine, nine. It's, <laughs> no. It's bad. It's not a good word. I'm glad it's not on our phone number here. 855-853-4802. I was actually thinking of that. I'm like, I hope the number nine's not in that phone number. And I was like, no, it's not. <laughs> no. Because <laughs> it's, it's just a difficult one. I'm actually standing up right now because it's a little bit easier for me to talk. How is it easier for you to talk standing up than sitting down? I, I think you're, it opens up your airways a little bit more than just sitting down. Okay. So that's what I'm doing. We'll go with that. Soon I'll be skipping around the studio and galloping a little bit too. Maybe. And hopscotch, too. That also helps open up the airways. Okay. So it all works here. 855-853-4802 is our phone number here at Real Ghost Stories Online. Did you ever play hopscotch as a child? No. I was too busy shooting things with a slingshot to do the girly stuff like that. Hopscotch is so much fun, though. I remember it was like on... (laughs) You did hopscotch? Not really. No. It was like... I remember it was in the the basement floor of my church when I was a kid. You know, like the the floor that are made out of... uh, 
asbestos uh-huh. and they the old church basement floors used to have like children's games on them you know so the kids could tend to do stuff while everybody's doing their you know socialing um and there was hopscotch boards all over the <laughs> <laughs> i don't recall anyone ever playing hopscotch down there but i just remember it was there okay play a little hopscotch trip a little bit kick up a little bit of that asbestos there you go that's a fun day and that's why you can't breathe today exactly because <laughs> of playing hopscotch in the church basement when mm-hmm. i was eight uh, explains a lot. Sarah writes into us. Hi, Tony and Jenny. I have a strange experience to share. Work for a hospital. I've been employed there for eight years. I've worked all shifts there. First, second, and I'm currently working on my third year in the third shift. What is the hours of third shift? Is that uh, late, late night? Is that? That's like completely dark hours. Yeah. It's that, like 11 to 7. It'd be difficult. Mm-hmm. Remember my mom used to work that shift along when I was little. Um, anyway. Let's do this. Being a hospital, you're safe to assume we do have deaths happen often. My department is in the basement with the morgue, but that is not where my story takes place. I like to be active, so I often take the many stairwells that snake through the hospital instead of taking the elevators. There are rarely other people in the stairwells, as you have to use a badge to access them. My experience takes place a few weeks ago. It was a normal night of running around and... I uh, badge, uh, uh, badged into all the stairwells to run upstairs. The flights have around 10 steps, then turn a corner, then another 10 steps, and a landing with the door on the very next floor. As I was walking up one flight, a face appeared around the corner. A person plain as day. He had a gown on, so I thought that maybe someone hadn't shut a door properly and a patient accessed the stairwell. Walking towards him, he kept asking me if I was going to help him, that he needed help. As I went up the stairs to meet him, he went back around the corner. I assumed to go back upstairs to the next landing where the door was, but when I got to the landing, he was gone. Glanced up the next flight of stairs and he wasn't there. I called out for a response but got nothing I entered that floor and asked a fellow nurse if she knew of any patients that were out of bed because this was about 3 a.m. She did a bed check in her wing and all patients were accounted for. I went back into the stairwell, concerned that this patient might be confused or I had seen him, so I wanted to find him and get him back into his room before a a code of a missing patient was called. A code was called just then, but was a medical emergency code. So I rushed to the room, passed, uh, paged the assistant, and when I laid eyes on their person in the bed, it was the man who was in the stairwell. Seriously confused at this point, I was asking my other nurses how he got back into bed so fast. I mean, I was on the other side of the building when the code was called, so I had to sprint to get there. There's no way this man beat me there. The nurses had been working on him for about 10 minutes tirelessly when the code is finally called for backup. Those 10 minutes prior is when I saw him in the stairwell. Sadly, we were unable to bring him back and he passed away around 3.30 a.m. Is it possible this man's spirit was in the stairwell asking for help while my co-workers tried desperately to save his life? You be the judge. I had to take uh, the next two nights off thinking I was losing my mind. This experience will stay with me forever. I think it probably was exactly that, was his spirit already had left his body and was somehow trapped in the stairwell. I think he was a little confused. I think so. I don't think he knew he was dead yet. 
and he was somehow beginning uh, whatever his transformation is into the uh, other side. So that makes you wonder, since they were still technically working on him when she showed up in the room, mm-hmm. at what point does your, your spirit leave your body? I think your spirit oftentimes leaves your body before you're actually dead. You think so? Uh, unless you're like, it's one of those cases where you're going to have that last little revival in your conscious, which actually does happen, you know, mm-hmm. quite often. In fact, there's a lot of vital signs that will suddenly pick back up for like a couple minutes, you know, right back to like a healthy level, like going in even like brain activity, especially out of coma patients, where it'll be very low, very next to nothing. All of a sudden they snap back and the levels shoot back up to like a healthy level and then they're gone. Huh. It's like a, a very interesting phenomenon, but it does happen. Um, in those cases, I don't think the spirit's out early. Okay. In cases where the, uh, the, the person is going to be not coming back and the spirit already knows that. I think the spirits know a bit more even than the medical doctors do. You know, they, they're going to, I think it knows the bit of the future of this person has the capability of returning. And if the answer is no to that, I think they're out. Okay. I really do. I mean, don't, I mean, don't you kind of feel that way? We, we get a lot of stories like that where the person is still technically alive in a hospital or something. And then family members are seeing them or somebody's spotting them somewhere else. Well, it kind of goes with the, the out-of-body experience people that mm-hmm. write in and give us stories where they are not dead yet but they're almost sure and they are able to go back so I was just trying to figure out is it like right when you start to be at that death state or how long I think it I think it's you're right it's pretty quick yeah I think whenever it makes a determination of there ain't no coming back at all Mm -hmm. it's out yeah you know but if there's gonna be a quick little hey I'm here for two minutes gone i think you're probably still sticking around there Mm -hmm. spiritually um but yeah it's an interesting thing because there's so many bizarre occurrences you know similar in line to this not necessarily meeting in a stairwell but sure you ever been locked in one of those stairwells no those big tall stairwells that you know they're kind of industrial like it's fun because uh especially when you're in like a nicer building and, you know, it's all decked out, woodwork and everything. And then suddenly, stairwell. It's like concrete. Sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yeah. just like total. It's almost creepy when you, you meet that that just extreme difference in, in settings. I was exploring what I used to like to do when I was uh, a, a teenager uh, in, in my downtown. When I worked at my first radio station. Because I didn't have a whole lot to do there during the day. Mm-hmm. I mainly worked at night. But I still went in there at like. 10 a.m. anyhow, because it was the most amazing thing in the world to me. Eventually, during the summer months, uh, it's nice out during the day. I'm going to go for a walk downtown. It was downtown. So I would walk down to uh, explore buildings, basically, whatever I could kind of sneak into to check out. And I would often go and explore the old uh, uh, hotel there, which it's, it was a Ramada then. Uh, I don't know what it is today. Uh, it was called the Retlow. We've talked about this on the show. It was even on This American Life at one point. Uh-huh for being haunted. Um, uh, the Retlaw Hotel is what it's traditionally known by. I think, it, I think it's called Retlaw again now. Um, but uh, I would just explore it. And I one time, this is a very old hotel, supposedly haunted by the builder of it. Sure. I got locked in the stairwell. Ew. 
Big, creepy, you know, industrial-esque stairwell. And that's where it like went from, you know, very ornate you know, walls and, and, and ceilings to bam that. And I thought I was just going to you know, go out the back entrance. Oh, they're all, you get locked. It, it was not a, I guess, necessarily a public okay. <laughs> stairwell. So I just sit there and I sat there for about five minutes kind of banging on the door. Uh-huh. And eventually, like, some staff member, like, oh, why are you doing it? I'm like, oh, I thought it was just a... Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not staying here. I'm just wandering and loitering in your building. I didn't say that. But, <laughs> but I was a little bit freaked out just because I knew the history of the building and, you know. So I bet that's the last time you did that. Uh, in that stairwell, yes. <laughs> I, I did continue to explore the building, and I still do enjoy exploring that building when I get the chance. It's just creepy and old. It's interesting. Yeah. Uh, 855-853-4802 is our number here at Real Ghost Stories Online. Dustin writes in, wanted to start out by saying how much I love the show. Just recently started listening and I'm quickly flying through the backlog of episodes that uh, your show is the only thing that gets me through any long days at work. Anyway, most of my paranormal experiences took place when I was younger. I haven't really had many experiences as of late. My last happening about two years ago. I only started experiencing paranormal events after I and my family moved across town when I was 10 years old. The house we moved into was brand new and nobody had lived on the previous prop- on the property previously. The space where our house is was an empty lot for years. I live in a very small town in the middle of nowhere in North Carolina. My home is located on a pretty busy street surrounded by other houses and close to a junior high school. Not really a good setup for a textbook ghost story. So... At first, I never felt uneasy or around the house. Behind our house, there used to be a pretty thick set of woods that stretched for about two miles with a small trail that went through it. I say used to be because when I was about 12 years old, the town started cutting it down to build a housing development right behind the house. That's when weird things started happening. One story in particular happened on a bright sunny day without a cloud in the sky. A friend and I were walking the trail behind my house through the woods. We've been doing this for years. We would find old shirts, shopping carts, even old children's toys back there before they started clearing it all away. Those findings always gave us an eerie feeling. We eventually came to the spot where the woods stopped and a very large open area began. It's about the size of two football fields and covered in dirt, a clearing for potential houses. We walked along the edge of the clearing, staying close to a part of the woods they hadn't torn down yet. Then, out in the distance through the woods, my friend and I heard what we thought was a woman's voice. Wasn't exactly sure what it it said, but I knew the tone was that of a woman. This freaked my friend out, and he continued forward at a quick pace until eventually he started running. I stayed behind, laughing mostly. I was never bothered by this sort of stuff. I looked back out towards where we heard the voice, but all I could see was a white t-shirt hanging on the branch of a tree. I shrugged it off and started walking forward. Later, after exploring on my own for what I believed to be about 15 minutes, I saw my friend sprinting towards me across the clearing, screaming something. The closer he got to me, the more audible he became. Run, run! I stood there dumbfounded and just yelled, what? But he just kept repeating the word run over and over. He sprinted past me, heading back towards the house. Now, at this time, I was overweight and a very slow runner, so my run was a normal person's jog. I started running back the same way, but he was able to pull far ahead and disappear back into the trail and out of the clearing before I was even close. 
I was terrified. I had no idea what was going on, and I had no intention on staying around to find out. This sort of stuff didn't usually bother me, but when you're just a kid and someone sprints by you screaming run at the top of their lungs, you start to get scared. As I was getting past the point where the trail began and the clearing ended, I tripped and fell. I landed on my stomach and scuffed up my elbow. It was at this point that I felt the sudden rush of fear wash over me. I turned around while lying on the ground and saw it, what my friend was running from. It was a huge, hazy object, just turning the corner on the trail, only about 12 feet away from where I'd fallen. The best way to describe it is to imagine looking at the top of hot pavement on a summer's day. The haze you see floating on top of a pavement is what I was staring at, except it was roughly six or seven feet tall and moved like a cloud down the trail. I stood up and just stared at it, backing away slowly. I couldn't comprehend what I was seeing. I remember thinking this can't be real, but there I was looking straight at it. I then turned around and ran faster than I've ever ran before, making it back home the same time as my friend. I started slowing down from a run to a walk. As I entered my yard, I turned around and looked back into the woods. As I blinked, I saw the silhouette of someone with long hair standing at the edge of the woods, except they were all light, like when you look at the sun too long and blink. That was the first event of many that terrified me and set me on the path of believing in the paranormal. I've had other experiences, but those will have to wait for another day. I appreciate you taking the time to read my letter, and I hope you use it on the show. I've never heard of anyone else having an experience quite like this. What was that haze? Why did this happen in the middle of the day? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Thank you, and take care, Dustin. Well, I don't know that we can answer either one of those questions, but it definitely was a paranormal experience and reason enough to not venture into the woods alone. I think... uh Paranormal experiences aren't necessarily particular to a specific time of day. Do you think they do heighten at night? I I think some believe it does, and I think it depends on what type of uh, entity we're talking about. Yeah. I don't know. You know, it's, it's always been said that, you know, kind of the darker ones have more energy at night. I don't know if they can disguise themselves more or, or what it is or if we're more at a vulnerable state at mm-hmm. night and that's why we feel that there's more of that going on I mean it's hard to, to be in, in a more vulnerable state than just sitting like in your bed alone at night you know during the day you're usually working or you're out doing something it's it's not as vulnerable as you will so I don't know if we're just more than open and in tune to our surroundings because if you're alone and in bed, unless you're, and even when you're watching TV, it's easier to pick up on other things around you mm-hmm. rather than a ton of distractions. So I don't know if it's just the state that we're in. I wonder if it has something to do with the fact that, you know, our eyesight doesn't literally change at night, but just the fact that it's dark, it makes it harder for us to see so our other senses are heightened. Sure. Maybe that's why we tend to feel like we're having more experiences at night. Does that like raise our sixth sense? I don't know, but I would assume if you're, you know, all your senses are heightened, your sense of touch. So just the slightest, you know, little movement as far as something trying to touch you or a breeze or whatever. Mm -hmm. I think you would pick up on that more so possibly at night than during the day. Sure, I think that makes total sense. But as far as his experience, 
you know, beyond just not, don't go in the woods. I would venture to say that it probably had something to do with the voice that they heard. And I almost wonder if it had something to do with the clothing that they found. And there's been other clothing found in that wo- in the woods there. It makes you wonder if maybe something happened there. Like disturbing an object? Possibly. Yeah, I could see that being tied in. It was always kind of fun when you could find weird stuff in the woods. We never had woods around here for me to search. No? No, and when I was little and lived in Texas, I was too little to go into the woods and search for anything. I've been searching the woods since I was three. I know. been out there (laughs) wandering. Actually, I used to have a nightmare because I used to wander through a very short patch of woods when I was about three. Um, It just basically separated my parents' house from my uh, aunt's house. My cousin lived over there, and and he was like two. And uh, my mom would let me walk just straight over to her house. Um, and we would play, you know, as much as two and three-year-olds play. Um, but uh, I remember going through that woods, and there was always this old, um, what do you call the type of chair? The, you have one on the deck. It's the old, the blue one you have. Oh, the old metal deck yeah. chairs. Yeah, the the thick, you know, mm-hmm. heavy. And um, there was one that just kind of was sitting off in the woods a little ways. And you could tell there had once been like a campfire pit around it. It's kind of got grown over, and, and the chair was just sitting there, literally just rusting away. And it was this old, red, rusty metal chair. And it's by itself. And it was always creepy, you know, because it's just, it's there. Mm-hmm. And you could tell, like, it was, somebody used this for a campfire area. It's probably a lot of happy things that happened there at one point in time. God only knows how long ago, but now it's all grown over and rusting away. And I would have nightmares when I was a kid that I was wandering through the woods and sitting in that chair was the creepy Lady Elaine character from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Do you remember that? (laughs) No. She was the one that lived in that circle, like, merry-go-round house that went around in circles, and she looked kind of like a witch. Okay. It was a really weird character. I mean, it was really out of character for that show. Uh Uh-huh. I don't know if it was kind of like... Fred Rogers attempted at showing that, hey, even people who look scary, they're not all bad. I don't know. Okay. But um, she was just a creepy looking character. She was a puppet. And I hated when that thing was on. But uh, I had a nightmare that that thing, not the puppet, but like a full life-size version. It was like Night of the Living Dummy type thing. Okay. You know, I was sitting in that chair and as I was wandering through the woods. That is very odd that you would put those two things together in your dream and it would happen more. What are you getting at? Nothing, just other than that's an odd recurring dream to have. Yeah. I didn't have a whole lot of uh, television, though, I mean, to watch back then. So, I mean, my, my exposure to scary was pretty limited at okay. that age. Um, I really I wasn't watching Ghostbusters yet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is back in the days where we had three networks. Sure. So, um but it's weird that you have that chair so closely tied to scary, creepy memories. I don't know. I don't know either. Do you think there's something to do with the chair? you think the chair had something going on with it? Maybe. The chair stood, sat there for years. I wonder if it's even still there. I mean, you would, would be... think if somebody really wanted that chair, they would have taken it back with them. Yeah. I just, I wonder if, uh, if it's like rotted to a hulk, or if it's any, if it's gone, gone now, or if it's just kind of sitting there in the woods, we should we should go look next time we're there. Okay, and if we get it, bring it back. No, we're not going to bring it back. <laughs> My deck chair doesn't need a partner. Eight five five eight five three forty eight zero two is our phone number. Hi. 
Hi, Tony and Jenny. This is Rebecca from Dallas. Um, this is my first time calling in. I'm calling about um, my daughter's and myself's most recent experience. Um, my daughter has always been very sensitive since she was small. Um, I am as well, and my oldest daughter and my mother as well. Um, recently, she was really sick, and um, the things that have happened to her when she was younger, and I'll discuss that in a future story, but um, she gets these feelings, and she was really sick, and I asked her if she needed to go to the doctor, and she said, no, because the doctor really can't do very much for me anyway. She's like, it, it's like how I used to feel when I was small. So she had stayed home a couple of days from school, and then I sent her to school the next day, and the day after that, I decided I'm just not going to work. I don't know why I got a feeling not to go to work. So then she came into my room and she said, Mom, I'm not feeling well. And I said, okay, you know what? Why don't you just go ahead and stay home and crawl in bed with me? My husband was out of town working. So she crawled in bed with me and we slept very late. And um, I decided to wake up and, and leave the bedroom. Well, my mother-in-law had to come down from Mexico and she brought a um, candle with her that was blessed. And she told us to turn it on every once in a while just to ward off the evil spirits. So because of the feeling that my daughter was getting, I decided, okay, I'm going to go ahead and put this in the bedroom where she was sleeping. So when I got up, I went and I took it in there, and um, the candle was on the other side of the bedroom. So as um, I'm in the living room, I hear the smoke alarm go off, and the smoke alarm was uh, directly over my daughter's head where she was sleeping. So I go in there, and this candle is just, um, the smoke is just coming out black out of it. So I go across, I, I blow out the candle and I go across the room and I look at my daughter and she's not awake and she's sweating. And so I thought, well, maybe it's her fever. And so I kind of got scared because she wasn't waking up because of the smoke alarm. So I called her name and I woke her up and she looked at me and she was scared and she said, mom, I just had a horrible, um, a horrible dream. And I was like, what happened? And she said that she had dreamt that there was a demon and um, it was taking her brother into the fire. And she was trying to stop it from taking her into the fire and uh, and she couldn't wake up from her dream. So I woke up and, and I, um, I just laid there with her for a little bit and then um, I asked her if she wanted me to um, just kind of say a blessing over her with the candle and I lit the candle and I said the blessing over her. So then later on she went into the living room and she said, Mom, smell my hand. And I said, what? She said, smell my hand. And I was like, what? She's, and she's like, what does it smell like to you? I was like, I'm not sure. She said, does it smell like penny, money? And I said, yeah, like change, like when you hold a lot of change in your hand. And she said, in my dream, I was choking like on coins and the demon was trying to choke me and I had all these coins and I was grabbing them with my hand and pulling them out of my mouth. She said, and she just kind of freaked out and, and so did I. But like I said, she's always been very sensitive. Um, I just had her lay down back on the bed again and uh, put some holy water on her and um, I, I got the candle and I said a blessing while I was just kind of going over her, but um, she's been real sensitive since she was small, seeing ghosts all the time, not scared. But uh, this is just a really, really weird 
experience because um, it just was word to me that she would not wake up and the smoke alarm was right over her head. But at the same time, she was having a dream about demons and fire. Um, that's all of, of my story for now. I uh, just want to say y'all have a great show. Appreciate everything that you do. Give um, You give everybody an outlet where most people don't believe what is going on. So um, thank you very much. Hope to hear this on the show. Thank you. Bye-bye. Always comforting when your daughter comes up to you and says, Mommy, I had a dream about demons and fire and choking on pennies. It's well, disturbing. And especially if there's real life, not that dreams are not real life, but things going on outside of the dream that mm-hmm. coincide with the dream, like the smell of money on her hand. Yeah. We all know what that smell is. And the fire alarm going off seemingly for no reason other than the candle going crazy. Yeah. So I think there's something going on there, and I would just keep a watch on the situation. Yeah, it doesn't sound like anything good, that's for sure. I wonder what the significance of the money is. Is there something going on there with money? Well, she sounds like she's probably not terribly old, the the daughter, Uh but also not very, very young. So it'd be... It's kind of a strange thing to be choking on, being choked with. Yeah, as an adult. Yeah. I could see like having a, a childhood dream like that if it's something that you had, you know, actually choked on at mm-hmm. some point or another. I like the dreams where I would wake up as a child and there'd be like quarters everywhere. Or in my dream, I would dream, dream that I was like, oh my gosh, there's quarters all over the ground. It was great. Then I would go to Aladdin's castle in the mall and play Mortal Kombat for hours on end in my dream. But uh, alas, that never happened. I never woke up to quarters. Nope. I did used to, to sneak quarters that for my mom. You did? I did. I would tell her that I was uh, looking for wheat pennies. Okay. She had this, like, you know, those big jugs. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like an old big wine jug, and she would use it for putting uh, change in. Okay. So I was, I don't know, probably eight-ish, mm-hmm. and uh, I wanted to go to the arcade. I The only money I made at that point was just my allowance money, which I think at eight was, I don't know a buck okay. or something. So it doesn't go very far at the arcade. So um, I also enjoyed collecting coins at the time. So I uh, was like, oh, I'm going to go through all your pennies and look for wheat pennies. Okay, that's fine. If you find any, you can keep them. Okay, great. Good enough. So I, you know, I you know, go through the, the pennies, pennies and all the chains looking for wheat pennies. They were fairly common in circulation somewhat back then. I mean, you'd, you'd at least run across them every now and then. And uh, I'd sneak quarters out. <laughs> That's not good. And uh, everyone's... Then eventually, one day we went to the, the mall and uh, I had like $10 in quarters on me. <laughs> like, I mean, this is, this, is, this is the logical thinking of an eight-year-old. Like, hey, they'll never notice that I suddenly have $10 in quarters on me. Uh, yeah. Where did you get all those quarters? Like, I've, been, uh, I've been saving them <laughs> for a long time. I bet your mom knew. Oh, I got in trouble. Yeah. Because then she went to her change and like looked through them and there was no quarters left. Yeah. (laughs) Lots of wheat pennies were found, but uh, no quarters. (laughs) Yeah. That's that's what I did. Okay. (laughs) 855-853-4802. Is our phone number here at Real Ghost Stories Online to share your real ghost stories with us. Kay writes in, hey there, Jenny and Tony. I'm, uh, I listened to the latest EPP episode number 31 and was excited to hear you. Wanted to hear some more of my adventures uh, with my friend. And uh, he got a kick out of being called a guardian 
Angel. Now, let me give a little backstory okay. on this. This was a story that was featured on EPP episode 31. Uh-huh. And she was living in a home where she was pregnant and... Um, the ghost was a man, angry man, that kept trying to attack her and do things to her while she was pregnant as far as, like, making her fall or do things. Or then after she had the baby, tried to take her baby away. And there was a spirit guide-type figure that showed up and actually made the bad male ghost go away. Yeah, it was, like, two ghosts interacting here. Yes. On the episode. Yes. So the the guardian, the spirit um, spirit guide is she refers to him as Travis so okay. that's who she's talking about okay continuing on he says uh, yes or she says yes he's still with me and I don't think he plans to leave anytime soon I figured I'd give you his name now his name is Travis I wasn't able to ever understand what he was telling me when I asked him what his name was it came down to him telling me to pick something to call him uh, so I called him that Uh, for a few months after my last story took place. This was a few years later. Between these events, I did have different encounters with spirits or ghosts, whatever you would like to call them, such as a soldier boy that uh, kept walking my yard and disappearing, and all that was left was footprints in the snow. The strange sounds of a baby crying in my mother's room, but there was no baby there, and my son was either asleep or playing and wasn't crying or fussing at all, and the weird girl in the red dress with blonde hair that hung out in my bathroom forever. I'd see her standing behind me on the side of the tub in the mirror. She'd smile and then disappear. And I, after the events I'm about to tell you, came to the conclusion that the house in the land that we were living in was very messed up, possibly tainted. I'll share that in the story. This was about three years after my son was born, and the horrible man, Ass Ghost, was uh, taken care of by Travis. It's summertime again, and I'm finishing up some schoolwork on my computer and getting ready to go pick up a friend from work. I got my son in the car and walked around to get into the driver's side and saw shoe prints next to my car. Didn't think much of it and went to do what I was going to do. Picked up my friend from work, took him to drop off his paycheck, and went to get some food and movies and headed back to my house. It's dark by this point in time, and I'm pulling up on the drive. My friend says, Who's in your yard? What? I look, and there's someone running across my front yard and down the hill to where I, to where the bottom drive is located. I said, I have no idea. Stay here with Dummy. I got out, locked the door, ran across the yard. I could hear Allie. Yes, she seems to be a good indicator of something not being right. She was barking up a storm, and the windows just flipping out. I made it to the edge of the hill, and there was no one there. No car, nothing. I figured some stupid kid, whatever. I've been there, no harm, no foul. We go inside, put in a movie, eat our food. A few hours later, I put Dummy to bed. I go to bed myself, telling my friend goodnight. I see the white mist next to my bed. This has become a normal daily thing. I go to sleep to a mist beside my bed and wake to it even now. My husband wasn't sure about this for the first year of dating. He has since given up on understanding why the spirit stands guard every night. A few weeks passed, and I'd forgotten about the person in my yard completely, and it happened all over again. Like the first time, I came home with my friend. I see someone running across my front yard towards the bottom drive and disappearing, but this time, I was still daylight out, so when I got to the edge of the hill, I knew for a fact there was no one there. 
There was no place for someone to hide other than if there were Spider-Man and could get up the tree at the end of the bottom drive. I don't see that happening. I called my dad at work and told him what was going on. He told me to make sure all the windows are locked and lock all the doors, including the outside basement door. I did, went on with my night. My dad came, the fo- uh, came home the following week. It was later in the evening and it was storming out. I didn't hear him show up, nor did my friends or my mom. When he walked through the door, he scared us all. Instead of telling us hello, he looked right at me and said, Allie, come. Never a good thing. She had already started growling. I asked him, what's going on and where are you going with my dog? He didn't answer me. He opened the door. Allie bolted out and I, and I right behind her and my dad, stepfather, right behind me. I saw what he was going on about. There was someone in the yard again and Allie was going straight for them. I yelled at her to stop. Okay, Allie was a very large dog. She was 169 pounds of grumpy muscle and teeth, a Great Dane boxer. I hope that clears up my concern with her chasing down a person. I'm yelling and screaming at her to stop, come here now, but she wouldn't listen to me. Make it halfway down the hill towards the bottom drive behind her and get hit by the white light that I've come to know as my friend Travis and was told stop. I stopped and watched my dad and my dog chasing after this person. I stood up watching them halfway down the road, and the person stopped and turned toward Allie. I heard her yelp, and it vanished. It was gone. I told Travis to back off, and I ran down the road to my dad and Allie, who was lying in the middle of the road with my dad standing over her. She wasn't hurt, but she was scared. Dad was talking to her, trying to get her to get up, but she wouldn't. She lay there and whimpered. I lay on her back and talked her up and got her back to the house. My mom was standing on the porch and asked what was going on. I said I didn't know. She looked at my dad. He said it wasn't human. My mom went white. Then she started going off about something or another. By the next morning, my parents apparently had decided we were moving, and we were moving now. I'm not against the idea. I didn't like the house. It always seemed creepy and and uneasy any time I left my room. So they started looking and as if this was bestowed upon them by God himself. Within 48 hours, my parents had found a new house in the same town with a lot more room for them. My brother, my son, me, and my crazy dog, and Travis, too. We went and checked the place out, and I loved it. We all did. My dad, fearing the answer, asked the question, How much down? The property owner looked at my brother, my son, and me, and turned to my dad and said, What you have in your pocket, not your wallet, your pocket. My dad pulled out a dollar seventy-five, and the property owner said, "That will do," and handed my dad the key and the papers to sign for the house. We were shocked, shocked, and overjoyed. We went right home and started packing right away. Here is where the crazy begins. I'm packing up the computer room. It's right below my bedroom, and I'm cleaning up, packing, and I hear a thud sound above me. I look up, and one of my mother's kitchen knives was in the wall above my head. I yelled at my brother to stop effing with me. He walks in the room to tell me to shut up, and he sees the knife and goes, Whoa, I didn't do that one. I stood on the desk, tried to pull it from the wall, and I couldn't get it out. Then my brother tried, and he couldn't either. I said, I'm done with this room. I went on to the back room where the crafts were and started packing those up. While I'm sitting on the floor putting stuff in boxes, a pair of my mother's scissors goes flying across the room at my head and ended up on the dresser next to me. 
Okay, now I'm starting to think the house is trying to kill me. I leave that room in a huff and go to my room to get what was left. I walk in and wasn't sure if I had anything left. I see Travis instead of a mist in full form. He looks right at me and screams, run. Oh yes, my son was at my mom's friend's house while well, this is going on, so he's safe. I've learned to listen, so I ran. The doors that were to my brother's room were slamming open and closed. My room door was slamming open and closed too. I hear Travis again, run, Catherine. I kept going. I make it down the steps into the living room. My mom, my dad, and my brother are outside. I go to join them and stop to notice the windows in the living room are going up and down, up and down. And one last scream from Travis and a push, and I finished running out of the house. That's the first and last time my own mother saw a spirit. She saw Travis standing behind me and pushing on my back, telling me to run. Then, once I stepped out of the house, she said he disappeared. What we had left in the house was left behind. No one wanted to go back in, and I felt if I did, I might not come back out. The landlord for that property showed up for some reason, I don't know why, and was asking what was going on and asked if we were moving. My dad hadn't gotten around to telling them we were leaving. I sat on the ground, drained completely by what just took place and a bit scared, and I felt a hand on my head, and I felt less scared. No one was standing near me. I overheard the landlord and my dad talking. The landlord was concerned about what was going on and grew even more so as my dad told him in detail of the things that had been happening in the house and what had happened to me. Before my dad could finish, the landlord cut my dad off to tell him the original owner of the property was a very selfish woman, cruel and wicked. She fell on hard times and had some real issues getting the house finished and he said she was facing losing the property altogether. One night, while in a drunken fit, she was walking the property and cursing anyone out that would take her land from her or change her home. She then fell, smacking her head on one of the bricks used to build the foundation of the house. I thought to myself, we were taking her home and weren't changing it. I thought back for a while. We moved in six years ago. The landlord showed us a room in the basement that was locked up. He told us for no reason... At all do you open this door. Do not remove the lock. The lock was gone now and the door was always open when we went down to the basement lately to do laundry. To this day, I wonder if maybe she was stuck or trapped in there and when the door was able to open again if that let her out. I have no idea for sure. I also can't tell you if my old landlord's story is true. I've not been able to find any records to confirm his story, but there are a lot of documents missing for historical records for some reason. I can tell you what happened the day we decided to leave wasn't right by any means, and I've never had something like that happen again, and hope that it never will. Like with the man that was attacking me, I felt real fear. Fear for my own safety, and at the end, for my life. I know if it wasn't for Travis, I don't think I would have made it out of there, and what would have happened after that, I can't imagine. Oh, there's another story. I'll share another one later on. I'm working on getting them all in order to share them with you guys. Keep up your awesome work. I really love the show. And now you have another spirit admirer to add to your collection since you called Travis a guardian angel. I'll talk to you guys later. I would have been out of there too. Yeah, I don't think there's really any reason to stick around. I do find it really interesting though that the landlord wasn't like trying to blow off what they were telling him he was actually genuinely interested 
and didn't seem probably too surprised by what they said. Yeah, I think he probably knew a bit more than he was uh, owning up to. Yeah. There was something with that room as far as if it was actually keeping the spirit contained or what, I don't know. Would you rent a house where the landlord said, you cannot open this room, do not remove the lock? I would ask why. Mm-hmm. And I'd want specific answers. I'd be like, well, it's a control panel. We don't want you touching it for legal reasons or, you know, liability. Okay. Totally understand that. That's fine. But if they're not willing to tell, no. I mean, if it's part of the structure and it's right there with the building you're in, you at least deserve a reason. Well, yeah. I mean, if you're going to live in a place, I think you deserve to know whether or not something in there is potentially harmful to you and your family. Yeah. Is it a liability of some sort? Like, what is going on in that room? I won't go in there if you don't want me to, but tell me what it is. Yeah. The curiosity would get to me too much. So I wonder how it actually broke off. You know, because they said at the beginning it was unlocked. So somehow this happened. Yeah. I'd be curious to know what events took place for that to get opened. I doubt that any of them unlocked it. They probably didn't even have a key to unlock the lock. I'd love to hear that story. Yeah. They got good stories. They do. I like I like that uh, that writer there. So thank you for uh, for sharing that uh, that story with us. Of course, our phone number is 855-853-4802. If you like the show, please consider becoming an EPP. That is an extra podcast person. Get uh, 32 bonus episodes of the show sent directly to you. And a brand new one every single week. It keeps our show on the air. That's how we fund this thing. Let's go to uh, another caller. Hi. Hi, Tony and Jenny. Uh, this is Ray from Ohio. Uh, I'm a funeral director, and I've had uh, like paranormal experiences my whole life. And I wanted to maybe share uh, how I kind of got, I think, the beginning of all that. Um, <clears throat> when I was just a, a little baby, uh, my father bought a house in East Liverpool, Ohio. Uh, it was in a section called Little England. And I got it for a normal price, and there was nothing to look at, but it was perfect for our family. We had just come over from Germany. That's, he was in the military, and uh, we had been spending some time in Maryland, but we were coming back home where he was from uh, to kind of get started, and he had gotten work. So it was just about ideal. It was just big enough for the three of us, him and my mother and myself, and it had room enough that our family, if it grew, it, it wouldn't be an s- issue for having space. We had room to grow out if we needed it. Now, I believe I was just about two years old when we had moved in. And at first, nobody had noticed anything abnormal. Now, let me just kind of let you know a little bit about myself. Uh, I was walking and talking at a very young age, a few words here and there, but I was walking at six months and speaking at that point. And I literally can recall great details from my childhood. I mean, I can remember the first time I was spanked. I can remember having diapers changed as a baby. Um, So... My clarity is pretty good. Now, a lot of the story I'm going to tell you is not just my memory of it. It's also my mother's and my aunt's. Uh, And I've kind of composited everything so that it all kind of goes together. So, uh, now these events had happened roughly in 1971 or 1972. And and the first thing I'll tell you is that there was a, a black smoky mass that lived in my closet. Now, I can't really tell you what it was there for or why it was there. All I know was it was malevolent. And it, it, it had no form. Like, you can't say it looked like a person or it was human in any way. It was really like a big black cloud almost, but spiky. I don't know how to describe it any other way. Uh, but it swirled and it 
almost stormed. I can't really describe what it was like other than it was a black mass. I mean, honestly, uh, you see movies and things like that, but you just I can't tell you what it looked like other than that. Um, and it scared me completely and utterly. I hated being in my room alone because it, if, if it was just my closet door, I was in there, it would just open up and, and the thing kind of stalked me around the room. It wouldn't leave me be. So I had this fear of this closet as a baby and my mother just didn't understand why I would not go into the room or go near that part of the room at all. But I can recall that thing coming after me a bit and, and trying to get away from it. It just freaked me out. Now, my mother had started hearing things um, when she was downstairs after a few weeks that we had moved in. There would be noise from my bedroom when I was with her downstairs, and she could never quite place what the noise was. It just it was a weird sound, almost like a, a swooshing or something like that. But she would go upstairs to look, and, and she wouldn't see anything, um, nothing out of the ordinary and nothing strange, and she would just come back downstairs, and then it would happen again. Uh, and she'd hear something and she'd have to go look again and she would find nothing and then she'd kind of dismiss it. And it wasn't until one day when she went upstairs to see what the noise was that the, her first glance, she saw nothing out of the ordinary, but it, it was later on she realized that there was a basket of clothes that she had taken to my room earlier that she hadn't emptied. It, had, it still had to close in it. But then she, she realized it was not where she had placed it. You know, it was it was at a different part of the room, and she couldn't figure out why the basket of clothes was over by the wall instead of the dresser. It would have made no sense for her to put it there. Um, so it kind of struck her as odd, and she went back downstairs and waited. And when she heard this noise again, she went up into my room, and she saw that the basket had moved from the wall where it was last located to another part of the room over by my bed. And she instantly became concerned that someone was in the house. And she, you know, what are you going to think otherwise? You know, somebody's upstairs playing games with you or something. So she took me to my grandmother's until my father got home from work. And then he kind of did a look around and, and he found nothing as well. Now, the next day, my mother heard the noise again. And again, the basket of clothes that she had brought up from the night before had moved. So she went back downstairs to the kitchen and tried to ignore it. But the harder she tried to ignore it, the more frequently the basket would slide around as far as she was concerned. Um, and I should mention that my room was hardwood floors, and the noise it made was, was quite easy to hear. So it wasn't like you were hearing a, a basket sliding across, you know, carpeting or anything. It was hardwood floors and the basket just dragging around. So from there... Whenever my mother and I were alone, strange things would happen. The lights would flicker or blow out altogether. Uh, objects downstairs, like small ones, started moving around, too. And I don't mean that we would see them moving. We never saw that happen. But, you know, you put something down, and then it would be in another room later on, is what she would say. Um, so you might find a... a glass in another room or something else, you know, like your pen. And sometimes, like, glasses that she would take down a drink from would just be broken and so on and so forth. So that kind of scared her because she was always afraid I was going to get cut. Uh, but none of this happened when my father was home. And, it, you know, it's always the story, you know, like if you have a car and you're, you're a young kid and you, hey, Dad, my car's making this weird sound. He go, well, let's go look at the car. You get in the car, drive around for four hours, and it doesn't make a sound. He gets out, you drive down the road, and it's clunk, 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 clunk. And that's just how it was with that. It, you know, if he was there, nothing would occur. And then as soon as he was out of the house, this weird stuff would happen. So this one night, I could hear scratching from inside of my closet, and I, I remember freaking out. I was screaming and crying, hoping that my mother or father would come to get me. But slowly, it kind of escalated that 
after that point, after that night, the, the scratching and growling was kind of heard by my father too. But my dad always played it off like there was some animal in there. Like he always figured we had this raccoon. He kept saying that damn coon is in the, you know, the, the house upstairs. He thought it was in the attic and would get down to my closet. And that's why I was afraid. He was afraid, you know, I was afraid of this raccoon. Well, <clears throat> on one night, one of the last nights that we lived there, and I'm, I'm really skipping over a lot for condensation of the story. Um, when we lived there, I was still spending the night at my grandparents' home. I'm, I'm sorry, I was, I was spending the night with my grandparents, and my mother was all alone. My grandparents had offered to watch me for something so my mother could get ready for something. And so I was there, and my mother was home all by herself, and that was when all hell broke loose. Uh, she said things were being thrown, doors and cabinets would open and slam uh, the weird noises increased and the lights would go on and off and my mother like really freaked out and she called my aunt Anita uh, and my aunt you know had kind of had an idea that things were happening but she was you know one of these people that said you know I don't really believe it until I see it so she was happy to come over and spend some time with my mother because my mother was so afraid that uh, she could not bear to be in the house by herself well, when my aunt came over to the home, she found my mother sitting on her couch with a shotgun across her lap. She was in tears, and my mother explained that uh, just as she had finished up all this other stuff in the house, um, the power went out, and she was terrified. And so she was not going to be, you know, sitting in the dark with some ghost unless she had a gun. And so, you know, doesn't make sense, but that's what she really thought. Uh, and so. Anita sat with her for a few minutes and she heard things and they both agreed to get out from that point. And so my aunt took my mother to my grandparents' house and my mother told my father that she was not going back to the home and if he wanted to live there, he was more than welcome to it, but she would never go back into the house again, not even the pack. And so that was how we ended up leaving Little England. Um, it was kind of a, a abrupt thing, but we were maybe about two months from that happening till the time we were completely moved out. And what would happen is my dad would come home from work and he would go over and pack. And then once the house was all packed up, he and his brothers all loaded up everything and moved to the house that we had found that was, you know, nearby, but it was, you know, not in Little England and it was far away. <clears throat> and, and I really think that my experiences with that thing in the room kind of opened me up to weird things happening or noticing weird things because my whole life I've seen things or heard things and my wife is the same way and now that I'm a field director I really think that maybe this kind of pushed me into that pocket of things to do in your life too uh, you know I've, I, I think I sent you a little note not too long ago talking about you know funeral homes and how haunted they can be and can't be uh, versus the places that are nearby them and that experience has really kind of opened me up to this other side that I don't think a lot of people notice most of the time because, you know, as, as a lot of people say, I, I, I've had experiences and some of the things you would not believe if I told you them. Uh, and it also makes other people kind of like tell me their stories. I don't know why it is, but I can be in a, a room all by myself and three people will come in and two out of the three of them will start talking about weird things that have happened to them and, it, and it's just bizarre. Uh, especially after they find out I'm a field director, that kind of helps that along. But I always get these weird stories and things from people. So um, that was just my initiation. And I've sent you a couple other things. Just I tell you. So uh, good luck and love the show. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for your call. And I find it 
really interesting that all the activity was centered around the mom. Uh huh. I don't know why that would be the case if they knew that maybe she was sensitive or I don't know if she even knew she might have been sensitive, but... Maybe the ghost had a crush. Maybe so. But I always wonder, you know, I don't have any friends that are funeral directors or in that line of work at all, and I always wonder what makes somebody go into that. And so this was kind of interesting to hear Mm -hmm. that some of his childhood experiences dealing with some of these types of things may have influenced him into going into that line of work. I think the most common answer to that question actually is family business. I can see that. It's a lot of passing down mm-hmm. of, of those sort of businesses. I don't know the answer to this uh, this question. I would assume it's a fairly profitable business, but I don't know the answer. No, I don't. You know, I don't think I've ever really seen like a funeral director really out there flaunting their wealth either. No. So, but I would probably make a good, honest living at it. I would think. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's a. I would think it'd be a very taxing uh, job emotionally. I think it takes a special person to be able to do that. Yeah. You have to be almost like probably 90% counselor. Yeah. You know. Well, and probably it probably does work very well as as a passing down of a family business because the kids from a very young age can start to develop some of those traits that are needed. Oh, yeah. You know, and so it becomes more of a second nature of, oh, I can get into this when I'm in my 20s and help out and, and eventually take over the business. Um because they've been developing them for so long rather than just it's time for a career change I think I'm going to go do that you sure. know it's not like a flip the switch or even amount of education that's an experience thing mm-hmm. you know I would think so very interesting story there yeah that was a good call 855-853-4802 speaking of uh, Little England I was just uh, reading as well while he was telling that story uh, do you remember Arrested Development I do remember uh, that Little England I was reading uh, that a uh, next season there's a new one coming out there is of 17 new episodes okay to Netflix so there you go a little more Little England, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, 855-853-4802. That's our phone number here at Real Ghost Stories Online. As I said earlier, if you like the show, please consider supporting it and becoming an EPP, that is an extra podcast person. Uh, you get a bonus episode of the show every week and access to our back archive of bonus episodes, 32 of them waiting for you right now when you sign up on the website, realghoststoriesonline.com. Please consider doing that and helping to keep us on the air. We greatly appreciate that. Until next time, for Jenny Brewski, I'm Tony Brewski. Thanks for listening to another episode of Real Ghost Stories Online.